Well, we are starting a new series that's going to take us a little while. We're going to be going through the book of Philippians. Now, this is a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote. Uh, it's one of his most encouraging letters. Uh, it's in the New Testament, if, you've, if you're not really familiar with the Bible. But if you have a Bible or if you want to look it up on, on a, a web app, uh, you, it's in Philippians, which is in the New Testament. You can turn there. We're going to be in the first chapter. Um, again, Paul writes a lot of occasional letters. He writes letters that are intended to address specific topics or issues that are going on in the church. And what's unique about the, the letter to the Philippians is that there's so much overflow of love and, and appreciation and heartfelt um, camaraderie. I mean, he writes to, to the Corinthians, and, and that church is a mess. I mean, there's, there's scandal, there's problems, People are getting drunk in the service. It's, it's not a great situation. But he's, he does say, you know, I love you guys. I'm believing for you. But in the back, you can kind of hear him clenching his teeth and just saying, come on. Uh, in, in Galatia, he's writing, and, and he, had, he had established his church and, and knew that God had purposes for it, but they were swerving in a different direct, direction, a legalistic direction. And so, again, he, he expresses love, but there's a sense of like, Man, I just need, I need you to come alongside with me and, and follow in what I've, I've established in this church. But with the Philippians, there's just this sense that he is just so happy about them. He's just so happy about them. And my, my hope is that as we go through this, that you would get a sense of God's pleasure over your participation in the body of Christ. Amen? You know, there's certainly things that we need to do, things that we need to change. We've got a spiritual to-do list some of ours are longer than others. Mine's is really long. Um, but I just want you to know that God, he's just pleased to have you in the family. Amen? And so my hope is that as we go through this, that, that as we're encouraged, as we're challenged, as we're transformed, that we'll also be um, built up and comforted. Amen? So as we, as we get into this word, I want to ask this question. Do you ever feel like you're on a hamster wheel? Yeah, okay, I appreciate the honesty, yeah. Um, you know, we watched this, this cartoon, uh, my kids and I, and, and there's, they have, it's, it's like a Sunday school story, it's, it's, uh, it's fun, it's, it's kind of weird, it's called Whirl, if you want to look it up, totally cool, um, I think they're Anglicans, so there are some differences, but anyways, that has nothing to do with anything, but they have, in their Sunday school, a class hamster, and if you've ever seen most class hamsters, they have the hamster, they've got the water, they've got the, I guess, the wood chips that they, the, the hamster exists on, and then they have this hamster wheel, which for a hamster is fun. The hamster jumps on the wheel and starts running, goes nowhere. Sometimes he, he loses his, his traction and, and he falls, right? He, he gets carried over and falls, and, and, but he, he's running and running and expending energy but getting nowhere. And that's, that's fine if you're a hamster, right? But if, if you're a person... If that's your life, you're running and you're running and you're running and sometimes life just, your feet come out from under you and you're not making any progress. It's, it's not as much fun. Uh, your life isn't changing. Your, your problems aren't changing. You've got no peace. And, and honestly, you're not really sure where God is in all of it. And that's, that's what it can feel like when you're on the hamster wheel. Uh, and, and so I think that God has a word for those of us who feel that way. So the question I want us to think about is, what do you do when you feel like you're stuck on the hamster wheel? Would you stand with me as we read the Word of God together? We're going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, 
servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the source of all things that we need, that, that all the, the desires that you've placed in our heart, you are the point of termination for those desires. And even those things that tempt us, Lord, are, are shadows of the, the joy and the fulfillment that is found in you. God, for those of us who feel as though life continues to progress, and yet at the same time, no progress is made. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit power would be brought to bear in our lives. That the grace that brought us to Jesus Christ, by which we were saved through faith, would also be the grace that empowers us to live in a way that honors you, that takes ground, that strengthens us, and that moves us for it. And God, I pray that the peace that you've established between us and yourself by the the death of your son, Jesus Christ, would create a sense of peace in our own hearts, even when there's turmoil around us. Lord, we recognize that we live in a fallen world, in a broken world, in a place where peace is not the order of the day. And yet, God, you give us peace. You offer us peace that surpasses our understanding. And so for your people here who who know that to be true and yet do not experience it in their own lives, God, would you bring about that peace in their hearts that you would say to their hearts, be still. That they would remember that the greatest problem that we have, our enmity with, with, with you, has been addressed by your son and that now the Holy Spirit dwells within your people Allowing us to say, Abba, Father. Allowing us to come to you as children and not enemies. God, minister your grace. Minister your peace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, Paul writes these types of introductions And if you've read any of the Pauline letters, you know that there are a lot of similarities. And so you might be tempted as we begin. I might have been tempted, and I thought about it. I was like, maybe we should just jump right into verse 3. But I think that Paul writes with intentionality, even in the first two verses, that there's something that he wants for us to receive and identify with as he introduces himself and his audience and, and the blessing that he wants to speak over the lives of his people. And so I don't want us to just just run ahead and assume that this is just kind of the, the letterhead. You might, you might see this as letterhead, right? If, if you have, if you work in an office, there are certain things that just are on the paper. At, at Grace Covenant Church, there's a, there's a label that says Grace Covenant Church. It says, you know, Pastor Eddie, lead pastor, Pastor Jermaine, associate pastor, and then everything else happens. And you might just think, okay, maybe this is just letterhead for Paul. But I want you to engage your faith, not just writing this section off, but believing that God has something that he wants to speak to you because there was something that he wanted to speak to the Philippians at the time. And what he wanted to encourage and start the letter off with was the sense that they could receive God's grace and peace, which was available to them as God's saints. That they could receive God's grace and his peace 
because it was available to them as God's saints. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the authorship, who's the author, the audience. These are, these are important questions as you begin any book of the Bible. It's, it's an important thing to ask. Who wrote it? Who are they writing to? And then we're going to look at the blessing. And as we get into the book, we'll talk more about what's going on in, in uh, Philippi. But today we're going to talk about the blessing. So who are we hearing from? He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is writing this letter. If you're, if you're not familiar with the Bible, Paul was he's one of the later apostles. You had the, the 12 apostles who followed with Jesus. They, they lived with Jesus during his earthly ministry. They, they were trained by Jesus. Then you had, as Jesus approached the, the cross, Judas betrays him, and so it goes down to 11. Then Jesus is crucified. He dies and rises again, and they they actually kind of, not vote, but they draw straws, and another guy named Matthias becomes the new 12th. Later on, there's this Jewish Pharisee named Saul who is actually persecuting the church, pursuing these, these what he believed to be aberrant uh, Jewish teachers. They were teaching something that, that he thought was absolutely wrong. There was no Messiah that had come. This is not accurate, and so he was pursuing them. He wasn't just pursuing the church. He was pursuing them to persecute them. And at the stoning, at the execution of the first martyr of the church, Stephen, it says that, that Paul stood there approving of what was going on, presiding over it almost. And so this is Saul. Now, Saul has this pretty unique experience where Jesus comes to him, knocks him down, and says, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? And Paul resp- responds and says, well, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. And so there, there's, a str- there's a sharp change in, in his trajectory, and he comes to faith. He understands that, oh, man, all the things I understood about the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There's almost this sense that Jesus kind of took him through a, a boot camp Bible study, right? whereas the, the other disciples had had three years to study, we, we, we see this almost immediate turnaround with Paul because it, it seems like all of the teaching that he had as a Jewish Pharisee, all the teaching that he had as a teacher kind of clicked into place. The missing piece of Jesus Christ brought everything together so that he immediately started to preach the gospel. And so he's writing this letter and he, he'd been established as kind of the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And uh, it says that Timothy is with him. Now, Timothy is, is one of his disciples. He meets him, if you were reading in Acts, Acts chronicles the story of, of the growth of the church. And we see that in Acts 16, that, that Timothy meets Paul and, and they come together. Paul takes Timothy under his wing. And so uh, Timothy accompanies him on much of his ministry. Um, Timothy was there when Paul first established this, this ministry in Philippi. Um, and it's possible that Paul was dictating this letter and Timothy was writing it down. But we believe that, that Paul wrote most of it, or really Paul was the, the primary author. Um, and so he is writing, Paul and Timothy. Now, he doesn't just say Paul and Timothy. He says this interesting little section. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul introduces himself and Timothy as a servant. The word in the Greek, it's not just like a server at a, wait, at, a, at a restaurant, but more of a slave. So you could even begin to say a slave or a bond servant 
of Christ Jesus. And you might be thinking to yourself, who cares? Well, the reason you would care is because if you looked at all the other letters that he wrote, if you looked at 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians and 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul introduces himself as the apostle. And in Romans and Titus, he introduces introduces himself as, as a servant, but then he almost immediately moves on to talk about how he's also an apostle. So only in this letter does Paul introduce himself solely as a servant, or more strongly, as a slave of Christ Jesus. And, and there are likely two reasons that I think that he does this. First of all, uh, when you go to a doctor's office, I don't know if you've ever done this, and you, you sit down in, in the office of the doctor, what do, you, what do you see on the walls? Degrees, diplomas, thank you, yeah. You see, you see his credentials, right? He went to UVA, and then he went to this postgraduate program, and he, and he did this other thing for, for radiology or whatever the doctor does. You see their credentials. Um, the doctor wants you to know the authority with which he practices. You know, you don't want to come in and see necessarily just pictures that his kids drew. You, you want to know that, okay, I like, I'm so glad you're a family man, but, but where did you go to school, right? Where did you get your training? But here in Philippi, all we see is that, that Paul wants to express his warm affection. We're going to find out that there, he doesn't feel the need to, to wield the sword of his authority. Because this, this church has embraced him. And, and that's, that's the attitude that God wants to have with us. Did you know that? You know, sometimes he comes to us and he disciplines us and he does so out of love. But his desire is to come with, with comfort and encouragement and, and a warm hug. His desire is to come alongside us, not, not lord his authority over us, but, but show us in, in a humble way. That's, that's one reason. The second reason is that Paul is going to encourage and challenge the Philippians and, and us as well to live by humility. Chapter 2 talks a great deal about humility. And so he's kind of leading the charge and saying, you know what? I too am a servant. I too am a slave. And, and I want you to understand and hear from me not not just as, you know, Pastor Paul, not just as Apostle Paul, but, but as fellow bondservant, fellow slave. I'm in this with you, and as I walk in humility, would you walk alongside with me? So here's Paul, the spiritual father of this church and fellow servant with them, and he's writing them. So who, who is he writing to? Well, we know from the name of the book that he's writing to the Philippians, right? Uh, and as I mentioned, Paul had established this church. This was a church that, that he had planted. If you go to Acts chapter 16, that Paul picks up Timothy, and then they go to, to Macedonia, they go to Philippi, and he interacts with this, with this wealthy woman. She comes to faith. She's a wealthy Jewish woman, and she comes to faith and invites them to her house. So she becomes part of the, the launch team, as it were. Then later on, as they're ministering, this, this young lady is following them. She, she's somehow demon possessed or oppressed. We're not exactly sure, but we know that she has been talking to uh, some spirits who, who have been allowing her to tell fortunes. She's been interacting with the occult. She's been dabbling in darkness, and she's following them as they're trying to minister, and they're saying, these are ministers of the, the high, great high God, or something like that, and, and really disrupting. I mean, if someone came in and started saying that if you read it in the text, you might be like, why are they upset? But if someone came in and started yelling that during the, my sermon, that would be disruptive, right? And so, 
at some point, Paul just gets frustrated and says, you know what, come out of her. Just, just and, and she gets her right mind. That causes a whole set of issues, but, but she becomes part of the launch team as well. So you have this, this wealthy Jewish woman, now a convert to Christianity, and this, this young lady who was dabbling in the occult. And then, uh, and then Paul gets arrested and goes to jail, not because he needed to or should have, but, but he's accused of things he didn't do, and he goes to jail, and God frees him, and as, as God opens up all the doors and all the, the prisoners are about to walk out, the jailer looks around and he realizes, oh, I'm in big trouble. And, and uh, because there are young people in the room, I won't say what happens, except that he uh, wants to take drastic measures to address his situation. And Paul says, no, slow down, stop. None of us have left. You're not going to get in trouble. And so Paul, in effect, saves his life. And so this jailer says, well, come to my house. I will bless you. I will feed you. You tell us about the gospel, and the jailer and his family get saved. And so you have, if you're thinking about church planning, this is not the group that you want, but you have well, the wealthy woman who wants to invite them into a house, that's great. You have the, the occult young lady, and then you have this jailer who, who, who really has just got some issues in his life. Uh, this is the group that has established this church. This is the group from which the church in Philippi has grown. Now, as far as the, the place Philippi, it was a Roman colony. It wasn't in Rome, but it was treated like it was in Rome. Those in, those in Philippi were benefited. They didn't have to pay taxes. They were treated well. In fact, because Paul is a Roman citizen in Philippi, he is treated differently than if he had not been a citizen. And so this is the, the people that he is speaking to. And we'll learn more about them as we go through the book. But there's, there's something else that's important about the way that he describes them. He didn't just say to, to the people in Philippi. He says to all the saints in Christ Jesus. All the saints in Christ Jesus. Paul writes to the saints. Literally, the, the language there is the holy ones. The adjective for holiness is used. The holy ones. I'm writing to the holy ones. He's writing to the, the ones who've been set apart for God. Holiness is this idea of of having something that's for a specific purpose alone, right? It's, this, it's like that, I've, I've talked about this before, but, but on a human level, most of us grew up with that room in the house that you didn't go in as a kid. You did not play in that room. You did not sit on those, those, that sofa. I mean, I had one friend, and the sofa actually still had plastic on it because that, that room was off limits. That room was holy, right? It was not for common use, Right? When God saves us, he, he takes us out from being used for common purposes. And now he says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. I have a direction and an intention for your life. That's what it means to be holy. It doesn't mean, uh, some of you come from, from Catholic backgrounds, and it doesn't mean just someone who's attained a certain level of notoriety within church, although it's true that, that the saints of God have become sainted in the Catholic church. But it means that He's talking about those who, because of their faith in Jesus Christ, have been set apart unto Jesus Christ. They've been set apart. That's why he says that there are saints in Christ Jesus. You know, what makes, for those of you who are believers in this room, what makes you holy? Is it, is it that you stopped doing this or that particular sin? I mean, that's a good thing. Is it, is it that you've started to read, you know, Pastor Eddie? I feel like I'm getting more holy because uh, I finally started reading the Bible like you keep telling me to do. 
Is it that you're trying to become more patient at work or, or that you're praying more or that you've decided, okay, we're going to have a, some worship time at home? These are all good things, but is that what makes you holy? They don't make you a saint. We're asking how a holy God can call any of us holy given our record of bad behavior. I mean, if it was just about what you and I did, the wonderful things that you and I do are, are great and wonderful, but it doesn't, it doesn't take away the bad things that we do. You know, if, if, our, if our record of righteousness was a white shirt, I can't make it to breakfast in a white shirt. I mean, the other day I was trying to wear a white shirt and I couldn't because I put on an undershirt and there was a stain on the undershirt. It was a white shirt. I was like, you're supposed to know better, a white shirt. It betrayed me. I had to change everything. I had to find a thick, like, patterned shirt. You're like, is that today? No, it's not. The shirt under this is clean. But um, I don't know why that matters. But, um, but we, we are not holy within and of ourselves. All of us, we have not lived our lives set apart from the Lord. Even, even you know, young people, we, you have done things and you know you've done things that would disqualify you from, from being called holy. What makes you holy is Jesus. What makes you holy is Jesus. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says... Um, in chapter 5, verse 21, I can get there. It says that for our sake, he made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, right? For our sake, God made Jesus and treated him like a sinner so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Another way of saying that is that God treated Jesus Christ as unholy so that he might treat us as holy. Jesus was counted as an unrighteous, unholy criminal so that you and I could be counted as holy. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we stop trying to make ourselves holy and start trusting Jesus who is holy, that's when we receive forgiveness, salvation, and are counted holy. Paul is writing to those saints because they are saints in Christ. They're saints in Christ. One of the ways that Paul and others talk about our salvation is that we are now in Christ. You and I have this relationship with, with Jesus and that's more than just this friendly acquaintance. Somehow, by faith, that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. You know, there's this museum in, in Winchester where we live uh, it's the Museum of the Shenandoah Valley. I'm surprised that there is one. There is. Um, but they had these exhibits where they took Legos and they made Lego uh, animals, which was fine. It was neat. And, and one of the, the exhibits, it was, uh, I think, two seals, except that the heads were gone. It, it's two-dimensional. The heads are not gone like grizzly. Some of y'all just went there and you're like, it's not that kind of museum. I don't know. It's the one where you put your head in, and now you're the seal. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you are tracking. And when you put your head in, you're counted as the seal. There's something about being in Christ 
That we're not just standing beside Christ and because Jesus is there, we get in as well. No, when God sees us, he sees Jesus. That's an encouragement to me because when I see me, I don't usually see Jesus. Family, sometimes when your spouse looks at you, they don't see Jesus. They just see red. When, yeah. When, when your kids see you, they might not necessarily see Jesus all the time, but when God sees you, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, God sees Jesus. Because of that, he calls us saints. When you live your life, when you, when you try to stop working, uh, when you try to stop this or that sin, when you try to obey God in this or that way, you're not just working toward holiness, you're working from holiness. Right? That's, that's the distinction. Your hope isn't ultimately in your own ability to succeed. Your hope is in Jesus who has already succeeded on your behalf. Now read your Bibles, pray, worship, be kind to one another, do all the things that God calls us to do, but don't do it as a way of trying to clean up your white shirt. No, wear God's white shirt proudly. I'm a saint. You know, in the New Testament, we, we hear this language of sinner and sin and, and this indwelling sin that we have, but, but the overarching identification that God has for his people is that you and I are saints. Some of us, we relate very deeply to the fact that we are sinners, and there's an appropriate humility that we ought to have, but some of us need to pick up the fact that, hey, I'm a saint, and allow that to influence your confidence and what God will allow and enable you to do. We're saints, holy ones in Christ, and Paul writes to us as saints. And he writes to us, including all of us, the, the overseers and deacons. He's writing to everyone in the church. So we talk about the, the author and the audience, but let's get to the main part, the blessing. He says in verse 2, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We began with this question, what do you do when you feel like you're running on a hamster wheel. What do you do when you feel like you're running on a hamster wheel? Paul blesses the Philippians, and by extension, he blesses us with a blessing that addresses the hamster wheel predicament. He says, grace and peace. Let's look at the first one. Grace to you. That word, if you, if you care, it's charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. In the Greek, it's, it means it has this sense of being a, a generously kind. In, in, in the literature that had to do with just general literature, secular literature, there's this sense of, of generosity and kindness and, and almost the loveliness of the thing that you're pouring out generosity and kindness toward. And then within the Gospels and within the New Testament, it begins to take a, a slightly different turn. And, and it's not just generosity or, or generous kindness, but it's, it's this unmerited divine favor. And you can kind of, if you think about it, you can see how the meaning might shift from someone uh, giving kindness to now God giving kindness in his favor toward us. God's not just saying, okay, fine, uh, I will give you my favor. No, he's expressing the overflow and abundance of his kindness to us in salvation. He's, he's giving us the overflow and abundance of his kindness to us in grace. When you're on the hamster wheel, you're asking questions like, like, how can I change this situation? How can I fix what's going on? How do I ever take one more step and make any kind of progress? Isn't that what we need? We need progress. 
And Paul's answer is grace. It's not just this sense of, of favor. He goes on, and in a couple places, he talks about grace as something that empowers us. In Romans 12, it talks about how this grace empowers us for change. And in 1 first, in first Corinthians, I'll go there, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's talking about the gospel which has come to him and how it has been powerful. It, he says... He says in verse 1, Now I, remind, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. And he's going to explain, this is the gospel, this is the good news. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, right? This is the gospel. We know about it. Jesus died the, life, the, the death that we all deserve he, he rose again, defeating sins and death. That he appeared to, to Peter and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to me. Uh, last of all, in verse 8, he appeared to me as one untimely born. And he says in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the what? Grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. By the grace, he's not just using language, and by the grace of God, I got there. No, he's saying, it is by means of the grace at work in my life, I am what I am. And it is by means of the grace at work in your life that God is going to bring you to greater degrees of holiness and righteousness and experience his presence and power and progress in your life. If you feel like you're stuck on the hamster wheel, you need God's grace. And I want to encourage you, if you're stuck on the hamster wheel, you have if you're in Christ, if you're trusting him, you have God's grace. We have grace to trust God when life is uncertain. You know, he doesn't necessarily always give us a map, but he's with us. You can, trace, you can trust and have grace to forgive those who offend you. You may not know how your forgiveness works itself out in that relationship, but you know that God is with you in the midst of it. You have grace to hope in God when your present is painful. God may not necessarily remove the pain, but he will weep with you and he will walk with you and he will promise you that your hope, your hope and your future are better than your present. He says grace to you, but he doesn't just say grace. He says peace, peace from God. Peace is, is harmony. It's this idea of, of coherence. Harmony is when two notes are played uh, and they complement one another. We know what harmony is because we hear it when it's not there. You're like, that was not harmony. That was something else. But then when there's harmony, there's this sound where, where two notes are not any longer two notes. It's this kind of unique third experience. Right? That's why chords are so neat, if you, if you know anything about music. Chords is, is a combination of three notes in harmony, and they build upon one another, and they create something beautiful and new. God gives us this kind of harmony, and he gives us the harmony that we need between ourselves and, and him, because our greatest disharmony, the greatest level of, of cacophony that exists between, in, in our lives is that cacophony of, of our disharmony with him. Do you have harmony in your life or just noise? 
Do your relationships sound like music or a mess? And we can be honest, right? Some of my relationships sound like a mess, maybe. Some of them sound nice. Some of them sound like someone who's learning to play a musical instrument. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but we're working. Do your thoughts, emotions, desires sound like beautiful music or a cacophony? Because when we live in a, in a broken, fallen world, we won't, we won't ever necessarily experience a perfectly harmonious existence on this side of heaven. But when we trust in God, there is, there is this harmony between us and him. And, and if, we, if we pursue that, we can kind of turn the volume up on that harmony. Everything else might sound a little rough, but we can hear the harmony that he offers. From Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Family, don't ever forgive that. forget that. Don't ever forget that if you have put your faith in Jesus, that you have peace with the creator, sustainer, ruler, reigning king of the universe. You may not have peace in your household. You may not have peace at work, but you have peace with the one who is sustaining everything. And that peace can begin to inform the way that you pursue peace in those other relationships. Paul offers this blessing of grace and peace to God's people. And it's a grace and peace that come from Jesus Christ. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, although he, he says God the Father and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not two different sources. It's not like I can get grace from the Father or I can get grace from the Son. No, there's this sense in which God comes alongside and he says, through the Father, through the Son, mediated through the Holy Spirit, we experience this amazing faucet, this, this fire hydrant of God's grace shooting into our life. Grace and peace come from the, the Father's work of adopting us, of calling us, and the Son's work of dying on the cross and, and purchasing our salvation and the Holy Spirit's work of applying that to our lives. God is the source in his triune existence of our grace and peace. We're going to talk more about how that works itself out, but family, I want to encourage you that today, if you feel like you're on the hamster wheel, if you feel like you're running and running and running, or, or maybe you're too tired to run, you're just walking, you're just walking. Sometimes you're tripping and falling and, and you're on the hamster wheel. God has grace for you to break out and make some progress, for you to take steps forward. It's, it's a bit like the manna from the Old Testament, though. It's not, he doesn't necessarily give us the five-year plan of his grace and mercy and peace. He, he gives us what we need for right now. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you as we close to bring those things to him that are, that are standing as obstacles, the hamster wheel situation, and say, God, would you give me grace and peace for this? And write this day down and believe that he's going to bring that grace and peace to you. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. God, I thank you for this word that you were so gracious and kind to the Philippians. 
And Lord, I pray that you would be the same to us. I pray that your grace, your power for change, your unmerited favor, all of that would inform, direct, and empower our steps forward. And the peace that we have in Christ, Lord, that that would, that would settle our souls and that would, it would give us vision to look over and above all of the junk that exists in our life that we'd be able to see far ahead and remember that God is with us and for us and one day we will see him face to face. And so whatever comes here and now, I know I have peace. I now have peace with the God of eternity. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you feel that there's a real sense of of, um, chaos and no peace in your life, if you recognize that you're a sinner and that there is a there's a punishment that is deserved by us and you, you want to trust in Jesus today. You want to stop trying to earn something. You want to stop trying to clean your white shirt, but you want to receive the grace and peace that comes from Jesus Christ. Would you raise your hand? We'll pray for you. Great. Once that hand's up, you can put it back down. Great. I see those hands. Would you just pray this with me? God, I... I need your peace and I need your grace. And I turn away from every effort on my own to live my life in my own strength. I turn away from every point of disobedience and I want to trust you and obey you. God, grant me new life and help me to walk forward. Help me to make progress in you. Lord, help me to live out my identity as a saint in Christ Jesus. Lord God, I pray that you would bless the people who raise their hands and for those who who were afraid to, bless them, Lord. Help us to live this life well. Help us to know that we are saints in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you, family.